Hello, this is Melissa. It is Real History on January the 4th, 2024, and today I am joined by Matt from the upper west part of British Columbia in Canada, and Matt hails originally from Poland, and this is, we've, we've spoken before for just a few minutes, and He's been a longtime emailer and listener to Alan Watt, but this really is going to be our first conversation. You know, I think I think the last when we spoke before Christmas, we had about five minutes. So, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Let's just dive in and tell me, since I don't know the whole backstory, how you got from Poland to Canada and. Go from there. So I was born in Poland by the end of the communist era, and uh, like any other child, I was thrown into the machine of the public schooling system, and I had a whole array of problems there. I just couldn't fit into that, and it just felt like like a life on a conveyor belt, you know. You just go to school, then the conveyor belt of school throws you onto another conveyor belt of job. And then that throws you into into retirement if you even get there. And the conveyor belt of retirement throws you into a coffin, and that's it. And it was just so boring. And uh, I somehow I just turned towards nature. That wasn't boring to me. I would seek solitude and solace between trees and in meadows out in nature. And I was very interested. I became very interested in how people back in the day were able to live without the appendage of civilization. So I started to learn everything about it, everything I could, starting from making fire by friction, ending up on hunting, through grain panning, hides, making leather, everything I could. And initially it was more like a hobby, but at some point I realized I won't be able to function in society. So it kind of became my lifelong journey and to make this long story short, I ended up where I am right now. So I have a small property. I live off-grid. I have no electricity, no running water. I do a lot of hunting, fishing, and I grow a whole bunch of animals. Okay. And also I have a big, big garden. Last year we harvested about 1,000 pounds of potatoes. Oh. I sell most of the vegetable or try to sell it because I guess people still prefer the, the the pseudo food in colorful boxes than the real thing. And uh, whatever I don't eat, whatever I don't sell, I feed to the pigs and other livestock. Okay. How long have you been in Canada? I have been here since 2009. Okay. And initially I, I had to get a job because... We did have a property in Poland. I even built a log house down there, but uh, it was just a bureaucratic nightmare. Like probably the whole Europe is like that. You cannot do anything down there. You cannot pick up a stick in the in the bush and throw it in your stove because it's the property of the national forest and you cannot own a crossbow. Hunting is just makes no sense because you you'll probably spend as much money on uh, on it in store. I mean, buying buying meat and hunting, it just wouldn't make sense. So when the opportunity arrived, uh, appeared, I um, 
I grabbed it and ended up here. I knew I'm going to have to work a job, which is something I didn't want to do, but I just, you know, clenched my fist and we saved up enough money. I never intended to, to take a mortgage from a cockroach bank and uh, we bought it. We were debt free and, you know, we're, I'm pretty much living my dream. I didn't, I did never even thought this is going to happen, but I am. What I didn't learn until, I don't know, maybe it was a year ago or so in an email correspondence that you had a wife and a son. And this just astonished me because, I mean, I lived without a lot of conveniences with Alan. Um, What you're talking about is more off-grid, more challenging in some ways, but it isn't the average woman who is going to be interested in a life away from civilization without conveniences. So that really blew me away when I got that email and put that together. How did you meet your wife and discover that she had similar inclinations to be away from civilization? Okay. Yeah, she's not an average woman, that's <laughs> for sure. Um, I've met her in a small town. There was a certain meeting where I met her. In Poland. Uh, of, of a, of a, like, I was a greenie for a period of time in my life before I looked through this thing, and she was also, and we met at a certain event. A greenie. And then event. she invited me. And and she's uh, she place. this was all in Poland, right, Matt? She's Polish. Oh yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, right. she's totally Polish. Okay. Um, so and she invited me for uh, to her place in the southeastern Poland. She had a place in mountains. Um, so I that year I was traveling all, all over Poland. It was the year. After I came back from Siberia, and I, where I realized that I won't be able to live in Poland because that's where the real nature was and real freedom. And so I was just traveling all over Poland, and I found myself down in in the southeast of Poland. And I then uh, I thought, oh yeah, she invited me. Maybe I'll pay her a visit. And so I looked, and she had a property with, without access, and I arrived there. And what I saw was a uh, she was all uh, smeared in mud, and she was building a Neolithic house. <laughs> I have a picture, so I can send you a picture of that house. That would be wonderful. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, that's, you know, and uh, when I arrived there, I, I realized that I found a, a, a female version of myself. So, you know, we didn't have mm, problems finding a common language. And we just stayed together since then. Well, that's that's a very cool story. Then the two of you decided, got to get out of Poland. No. No. Then okay. we were, we decided to, uh, we were planning to develop a, far, a farm in Poland. And we were never about making business or anything like that and participating in all that. We just wanted to be as much self-sufficient as possible. But um, the clay house was supposed to be just a temporary shelter 
for the for when we build the log house. And I was building the log house, but before that even, we've ran into so many problems with the clerks and, and with bureaucracy that I was totally sick of it. And I was totally sick of Poland because a couple years earlier, I went to Siberia with a few friends of mine. And uh, we went into the taiga and, and went across a certain uh, mountain ridge. And I stood up on top of that ridge and I looked around and there was waves upon waves of endless forest and Lake Baikal down below me. And I thought back then that I, I'm going to have a real trouble staying in, in, in the country of my origin. So, uh, when this, when then, um, this problems with building arrived, um, I just, I thought, um, I can't stay here. We have to do something. I have some schooling in forestry. So I went online. I just found, I think it was, there was over 40 uh, job ads, and I answered to every one of them. One guy replied, hmm. and initially he said, I don't want to give you a, I don't want to apply for a work visa for you, so you just can come on, on the tourist visa and and stay here and work, and I thought that's all I have, so I'm just going to go for it. And I went, to, I went on a tourist visa, and, and he liked me, and I worked uh, in his company for a few years. And 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 um, your wife was with you. Yes, okay. initially she didn't come, but then uh, when I was when I switched to the work visa, then yeah, we knew that it's going to happen. Okay. So we just left everything and went to Canada. Then. You so you had this job. Then what happened that allowed you? You had the work visa. You were there. She was there. What happened next? We sold the property in Poland and saved enough money to buy a property up here. Mm-hmm. And in 2010, my son was born. We didn't oh. want to have children in Poland because we would get chased by the vaccine industry. Uh-huh. I mean, the vaccination, some of the vaccination in Poland is mandatory, so we didn't want that. There was even a story where the couple uh, had to sneak out their offspring from the hospital and they were chased by the cops oh. because it was supposed to be vaccinated, right? Uh-huh. So we didn't, we didn't go to any hospital or anything. My son was born in the basement that we rented and I was the only person present when it happened. Okay. So, I was very proud of my wife. She did a good job. The guy upstairs didn't even know there was birth going down the downstairs. <laughs> so, 2010. And yeah. so, how did you get... you? So, you sold the property, you bought the property where you are now, but how did you get from working in forestry then to just being able to be self-sufficient without employment? We do sell vegetables, that brings some income. Mm -hmm. I do some trapping, that brings also some income. And we need very little money to live, really. Mm -hmm. We needed to pay the extortion fees, meaning tax, Mm -hmm. because I understand how mine is this property. Mm -hmm. As long as I pay, then they don't keep me out. That's right. And uh, whatever else, uh, I need to pay for the internet, because without the internet, I wouldn't be able to make money, sell, mm-hmm. um, and gasoline. 
gasoline and all the licensing for hunting and stuff because we still keep it legal and we don't really have much to do with the system. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it isn't really hard. I mean, you, you need to change your expectations, but, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather go hungry every now and then than, than be a full-blown slave. Right. Your son is also unusual in that he doesn't need Game Boy and, you know, he, he's not a gamer. <laughs> he's... No, not really. He isn't. He's a, he jumps from one, one great passion to another. The last one is flint napping. Ah. And he did it. Actually, I was surprised, but he was able... We don't have the right stone here for that, but he was able to do some really nice arrowheads with uh, uh, bottoms of just glass bolts. Neat. That's neat. So, but he, so he's not caught up in any part of the things that other children are interested in. No, I wouldn't let him. I wouldn't let him because I know it's it's not for his benefit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't send him to school, worrying that he will, you know, come back from without his genitals or something <laughs> like that. I mean, uh, we're living in a zoo right now. We are. Is, yes. Yes. It's uh, you know. Uh, hold on. He actually. When I was working, I had to send him because then my wife went to work. When he was a little older, I had to set older. I had to send send him to to school for two, and he was there for two years. So he he learned how to swear, and uh, and I found out one day that they went to a park and they were hugging trees. Oh no! Yeah, and then he concluded himself that. He thought he said that he was. He thought he was getting more stupid because of this school. He said that he came to that conclusion. Yes, and actually, how can a child not get more stupid? What value is it to put it? What value is there in putting your child amongst the people that are equally young, silly, and not knowing anything? Right, right, yeah, that's true. Well, this is just an interesting, I want to get more into your day-to-day uh, life. And you, you told me before Christmas that you were off to slaughter a pig. So I want to come back to that. But before we go further in your life, I wanted to just hear how you came to discover Alan Watts' talks when that was, and what was going on. I mean, obviously, you have lived a life away from civilization for most of your life, so it's not unusual that you would gravitate towards thinking outside the box. But Yes, um, I found I was late to the Internet, and I, I found Alan in 2009 when I came to Canada. I was making Polish subtitles for a documentary called Don't Talk About the Weather. And uh, Alan's voice was inserted into that documentary a few times. And I got, I was in contact with the maker of the movie, and I contacted him, and I asked, who is this person? Because he sounded so different, right? I mean, when you start discovering those things, you run into the, the usual reptilian stuff and... Uh, hysteric Alex Jones and 
I actually listened for a while to Alex Jones because he wouldn't mix the nonsense into his messages, although it would bother me that, you know, he, he presented that information like some kind of a 13, hysterical 13-year-old. or It was just a little ridiculous. And, uh, you know, when I heard Alan and then I went to his website and I, I looked at that website and I didn't like it at all initially. I didn't like the look of it. <laughs> it just looked like, uh, oh, maybe I won't say that. But, um, no, that's okay. Yeah. It's somebody else said it looked like, so, I, I think somebody, uh, threw up a box of crayons or something, you know, so it's, I've heard it yeah, all. I thought that I, okay, I thought that somebody puked on my screen when I, <laughs> my but, um, and then I listened and I actually thought this is, uh, but then I realized this is good because this person doesn't care about the looks of it, you know, like the, simplistic logo and this the the character of this website and I thought this is this is something big and you know I started listening and it was just it was amazing I mean I thought at the time that all this this whole alternative media movement should just hold this guy microphone you know because nobody nobody presented this information um, nobody put anything nobody put everything into con- context the way he did there was some good information out there, but nobody printed the big picture like he did. Yes. Yeah. I I know exactly what you mean about, you know, holding the microphone for him because, mm. you know, it's I, I think that any of anybody, myself included, anybody that puts something out there, that's great. You know, okay, good for us, good for you for doing that. But sometimes when I listen, especially to other hosts, and there, you know, I, I mean, dozens of people who talked with him over the years, so many of them just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and they don't listen, and they interrupt, and sometimes they're argumentative, and I find myself always going back to the same question, do you not have any idea who you're listening to? I mean, are are you so filled with ego and self-importance? <laughs> it's just amazing to me. But, uh, you know, it's the a lot of people who have their own shows, many people who have their own shows want to come across as being expert. And I don't know, it, it colors their yeah. ability to discern the um, absolute... Depth and breadth. Yeah, of Alan. and that's and that's what I loved about Alan that I felt that this is just about the message and nothing else. Mm-hmm. This is just about the truth, and uh, you know, the, there's no really truth that is bad or good. Or I don't understand people that say I don't want to know that. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand it mm-hmm. because truth is your survival. If you don't know the truth where I am, if if the deer doesn't want to know the truth about what the wolf is up to, he's going to die. So, and have you read uh, Escape from Freedom by Eric Fromm? I, I know the book, and it is possible that I read it, but if I did, it would have been so many decades ago. Uh, so, yeah, anyways... Um, he said he even goes as far in that book as saying that truth is a weapon. It's your weapon to use. 
you have to know it because if you don't know it you don't you won't not make proper decision in your decisions in your life that's right just like you that's just like you know you you see the those protesters or any kind of protest if you think about what what is that it's you know it's it's a bunch of people asking the master and telling the master master i don't like how you are running my life right now please run my life in a different way mm-hmm. so how about you take your life in your own hands and run it yourself that's right that's right uh you know i think eric from was he not part of the frankfurt school initially i think i remember reading that he was and then kind of broke away i don't know yeah interesting no but that is something that alan would say which was which resonated with that quote you gave me from from just now he said the truth is neutral truth doesn't care whether you like it or not truth is and that is i remember one time being in a bank with alan and we were having a sit down with someone he he wanted to switch accounts move from one bank to another and so we were meeting with a woman and alan being alan started telling her about bail-ins and bail-outs and haircuts and so forth and this was not the first time i'd experienced this with him one time he had me make a a three show compilation on a disc for another banker you know he's like he was always out there saying well you know do you don't know about that and of course even managers at banks they don't care they're it's just a 9 to 5 for them they have absolutely no concern about why interest rates are what they are or anything like that but he was telling the woman a very brief synopsis of what had happened in 2008 and what it meant and how Canada had been involved as well that that this meltdown and the bailouts were not just the US but the role that Canadian banks had had in it and this woman looked at him and said I don't want to know I don't want to know and she said I just she said I I hear what you're saying and I it sounds like it's true but it's so shocking and upsetting uh, i just want my life the way it is and when we left the bank alan said you know that that may be the first time that someone has had a crystal clear totally new what the information was doing to them and was able in the moment to reject it so emphatically he said you you usually get that with people much more subtly but She was like, "Nope, I don't want to know." I I don't know what that is. It's just bizarre, really. But I'm sure we get trained to to have that attitude just from just so early at school. You familiar with uh, John Taylor Garro? Oh yes, excellent work he did. Yeah, so he, I think, uh, in underground history of education, he said that. we are taught to withdraw from life and that's what most people do and that's what what most people are taught to do 
in school. They are supposed, they are taught to reside in a fragment of reality and, and never look out of that box, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that's true. It's, um, a, a lot of the people, I, I would call them armchair warriors who claim to be awake or thinking for themselves or know what's going on. They are exactly what you described about the protesters who are saying, I want you, master, to give me more privileges in your slave system. Mm-hmm. I was listening to an interview that Alan had done back in 2006 with someone, and the the host was kind of defending, in a way, the monetary system, saying that there were good ways to use your wealth and good ways to accumulate it and good ways to give back and so forth. And Alan just cut that right off in a polite way, of course, but he, he said, no, no, the, this is a deviant system. Well, I guess not even deviant, it's just a total scam. It's like we're all morons because they're borrowing something that they don't have. The bankers, right? Right. So, it's right. Just a, I don't. I cannot think of a better scam than this. No, it is a. It is a beautiful scam. But the. Uh, and, and it's so wonderful how that money is just is. It's there like the sunrise, right? It's just there. You you are born into. You look at it. Nobody asks what the hell is it. How does it? Who prints it? How can print it? Who? Like, does the guy who printed can he just sneak a few into his his own pocket or? How does that work? And, <laughs> you know, we pay taxes. They would like, like to install a camera in your, in your toilet bowl. But when you pay taxes, you, you, you don't ask where this goes. You, do, you won't see the receipts. Mm-mm. You don't, you don't know where that goes. And you should, I'm sure it goes to the right cause. Of course, for schools and roads. It's such a joke. And just people don't think at all. No, schools and roads, it is a total joke because what, you know, I've said this before, you know, I live in a place that's just filled with potholes. And even though they say schools and roads, I just heard via my brother who keeps up with, you know, the the civic news, and I don't, but he said that they're going to have to float a bond, uh, you know, some many millions that they have planned to do that in four or five years from now in order to pay for some of the road work. So the taxes aren't even going to that. So what does that leave you with? Schools? And that's where you send your children to have their genitals cut off nowadays. Yeah, maybe they should say schools and bomb. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You told me when we spoke before Christmas, you said you needed to hurry up and get off the phone because your generator was going to go down or you had to turn off the generator. So uh, do you want to talk about how you give yourself the few hours a day of electricity and when that is and how that works? Uh, I use a generator, gas-powered generator. Right now it's on. I just moved it away from the house so, you, so that you won't hear it. But mm-hmm. I also have solar panels, just two of them, and uh, four batteries. I use that when the sun is shining. Okay. Uh, but in general, I 
don't spend much time on the computer. Okay. I, just, it's, I prefer to be out there doing something. And the generator, what other needs besides computer does that provide for you in the small window that you have it open running? Um, my wife got hold of a washing machine from a trailer, so she can use the washing machine. So that powers the wa- the generator. Sometimes powers the washing machine. Mm-hmm. And apart from that, we have uh, LED bulbs for lighting, so we don't sit in the dark or by candles when when the evening arrives. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. Okay. And then your food storage. I have a root cellar for the vegetables. I built it uh, two years ago. Um, my food storage is a big tripod where I hang my meat and then I let it freeze. And I also have some canned meat for when hunting isn't good. And we do a lot of hunting in the season. So we get fresh birds and uh, bears. We eat bears. Really? We always kill them in the fall. Yes. I don't hunt for anything else than food. I don't care for, you know, mounting that stuff on my wall and it just collects dust and it's... I mean, I, I don't mind people doing that. It, people think that, oh, this guy just, you know, he kills those animals and stuffs them and puts them on the wall. But it does it just doesn't work like that. There's a whole comp- bunch of emotions and memories related to every hunt and... It's, he, he doesn't hang it on the wall because of that. He just hangs it on the wall because he wants to you know, sit on his armchair and venture in his um, memories back to that moment because it's always an adventure and it's always an effort to get the animal. But yeah, we kill bears in the fall because that's when they have a lot, the most fat. And uh, we cut out as much meat. We want to eat as much fresh meat as we can, and some gets canned, and then that ends up in the root cellar for when the times are, I don't want to say slim, but a little slimmer than usual. We eat mostly meat. Mm-hmm. And fat. Fat. This year was this year was terrible for bears. Because of the drought, there was no berries. We always, we always have had berries on our driver. There was none this year. And mm-hmm. the birds are starving this year. Mm. We had a grizzly wandering around our house on the 11th of December. Like snow on the ground. And, and I actually caught that guy on the trail camera. So I can send you a picture too. Okay. He's pretty skinny. He should oh. be in his den sleeping. So oh. it's really tragic because you know that he's wandering and looking for something that he's not going to find. It's just a matter of time before he starves right so yeah apart from bears we eat moose there aren't many there aren't many deer around here and uh, last hunting season we, we ran out of meat and we lived on grouse for like two weeks wow. before I got a bear and for storage we dry I make pemmican but that's not for eating here. That's for when we go up the mountains because we, my son likes to go up the mountains. So this is our kind of like a trail food. Mm-hmm. But we we eat smoked jerky from moose. 
What's the difference between pemmican and smoked jerky or jerky? Jerky, you cut along the grain so that it doesn't crumble as easily. And pemmican, it's dried meat plus fat plus the suet. It's not just any fat. It's the suet. Uh-huh. You know what suet is? I do. It's the fat from around the kidneys of a cow or actually any ruminant animal. It will have the suet. The, the, the suet is a little different than the regular fat because it stays it stays pretty solid, kind of like soap in room temperature. So oh, pemmican, okay. So I d- I didn't. Yeah, I actually didn't know what suet was. I thought it was just a. A fat that was all around all organs, but it's just kidney. Yeah, it's uh, well, um, kidneys and down by the pelvis area. Ah, yeah. I I don't know. There's a fat around the stomach too, like a little net. But I didn't. I don't know if that will mm-hmm. behave the same way mm-hmm. as suet does. But anyway, pemmican. You cut the meat uh, against the grain, like cross cut the meat. Mm-hmm. So that it crumbles really easily, and then when it's dry, you powderize it. I just do it with uh, oh, another thing I run with my generator is the uh, blender mm-hmm. or food processor. So you powderize that, and you pour melted suet over that, and it uh, solidifies into kind of like a soap filled with dried meat, and mm-hmm. that's what you take with you when you go up the mountains. And then just break it off into chunks and eat it. No. 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 That will give you total and horrible acid reflux. You have to have a pot. <laughs> ah. You can, you can eat a little bit of that, but you have to have a pot and you go up there and you gather what you want to eat or you hunt. And then this is the kind of the basis for your meal. You put that in the pot, you melt it. And then throw whatever else you you gather or you killed, and eat that. Ah. Or you can eat it, eat it by itself, but <laughs> don't eat it raw. Okay, all right, interesting. You had been. You mentioned the other day that you were going to sell. You were going to get some sheep and get rid of some goats. Yes, um, we are. We stop. We're stopping. We're planning to stop drinking milk, uh, and I thought just sheep are going to be a better choice. They're easier to contain, and we don't. We only have ten acres, so our pasture size is limited. And I thought it's going to be just uh, because we do so-called mob grazing and mm-hmm. close a lot of animals in a small area and just keep them in there for a day. Then cl- they clean out everything, they fertilize it, and the next day you move the pen over to the fresh spot. And that way you'll get a better usage of land. Mm-hmm. Because after two months you can come back to plot one mm-hmm. and do it all over again. Why and the sheep are, are easier to contain because they, they just, I think they just need uh, two strands of electric fence. And the goats are escape artists and they need four. Mm. Why are you stopping with the goat's milk? Because it's unhealthy for me. Uh, it has okay. proteins that make me allergic to things. Mm. Okay. And it's full of lactose. 
But the main thing is the proteins. It just started to give me headache. Okay. Now, you also have pigs, and you before Christmas you butchered a big one. You want to tell us about that? Yes. Um, you know, I, I don't take killing lightly. It's something... It's not something to be taken lightly. It makes you get out of your comfort zone. And uh, it is an unpleasant thing, really. Especially that uh, you know the animal. You know, initially you buy a small piglet, it's, it's a piglet, but then suddenly it has a name. Um, and uh, it's just, it's a hard thing to deal with, with at least for me, with, uh, with the animal that you know. Um, but it it makes you when you kill it it gives you it makes you understand the cost of maintaining your own life there's a very significant and real cost of maintaining your own life mm. there is the other thing is that and it's actually something it's hard to explain but i think it's it's something good because it makes you participate in in life you know you're not stuck in that little box that that we talked about before alan did not hunt he would have and we did talk about this he would have if he had needed to or had time he was very involved and devoted to what he did and that was full time so we did not garden I mean in the summertime I would go out and pick berries and blueberries and other berries that grew wild that were edible I picked um, the fern fronds in the very early spring that was always exciting because that was the sign of spring and then you'd get all the fuzz off of them and you could cook them like asparagus or something like that. And so there, there was a little bit of foraging, but no time whatsoever for gardening or hunting. And we talked about this, you know, Alan loved animals and we loved to watch them and he'd photograph them, but he knew that he would, if he needed to, hunt or fish or, you know, take the life of an animal, that that was just life and he also said that there's something there is actually something dehumanizing about going to the market and buying an animal that has been slaughtered and butchered and put under cellophane under plastic wrap because you're not actually connected to that that life and death process so it becomes meaningless to you Yes, I agree. But was he against? He wasn't, I guess, against hunting. No, because, he was, he you know, was not. A, no. Those pictures of no. Alan playing his guitar and there's a beaver and a moose. No, no, no. He he was not against he hunting. Not. He just, mm-hmm. you know, he knew that it would be hard to do for him psychologically, but he had hunted before. I mean, he he. In other oh. words, yeah, he had hunted earlier in his life. But for him, it was, a, you know, there he was in a place in his life when he was out 
of the system. He wasn't speaking publicly. He had the time to do that, and he was in more of a self-sustaining survival kind of lifestyle. Why did he choose Canada? Like, wouldn't it be better for him to live in, I don't know, Costa Rica? Well, you know, he Scotland isn't particularly warm. I don't think warm climates were necessarily... He wasn't really drawn to being warm all the time um, in that way, you know, like comfortable. <laughs> and he had spent a lot of time in Scandinavia, Norway. Uh, he, he, I think he was... I don't think he ever considered going to a paradise kind of climate. We did talk about the idea that that, kill, that you don't kill just for the sport or... And that there is something there that is hard to do, hard to kill an animal that you have raised. But getting past that, how long, how long does that pig supply your food needs? For a month. Okay. And you, you, you said. For a month and, um, uh, we try to eat everything fresh, so the bacon gets eaten last because you salt it and you hang it. And then we try to freeze the pig and just cut off slices, and that takes us about a month. Mm-hmm. Then when you did have other things like um, goat milk in your diet, you're, you're just keeping that at room temperature because you don't have refrigeration? Uh, no, we have a spring here. This property was a homestead. It has a creek, and the, when the creek gets muddy, it has a spring right next to the creek. And the spring water is always, it comes from deep underneath the ground because the water temperature is always 4 degrees. Whether it's plus 30 or whether it's minus 30, it's 4 degrees. So we put everything into containers and use it as a fridge, just dip it in the creek covered in the spring and cover it in the cover it with plywood or whatever and then just sits there that's our fridge we don't Mm -hmm. have a freezer but that serves us as a fridge Mm. do you fish at all i do some ice fishing but not this year because it's there's no ice on the lake yeah we do catch lake trouts and then part of the lake trout is used as bait for burbot i don't know if you know that fish um, no, no. Burbot with a B. Burbot, no, I've never heard of that. Is it good? Very good, yeah. It's probably the best fish. Very ugly and very good tasting. Oh, interesting. What I'd like to hear from you, you you've described from your early childhood a sense that you didn't really fit into civilization, a love of nature, finding um, in your wife someone who was like you in attitude and life. How did the two of you get away from the greening and sustainability thinking? I wasn't really into that. I would. I always looked at it as some nature or something that I want to have because that was my freedom. Uh, 
I don't want to hug trees or anything like it. Uh, I always wanted to hunt. I just wanted to be independent from this. I wanted to be alive, you know, because people, people are people aren't alive. They are just products, and I don't. Want, I couldn't stand it. I don't know. It's just something in my head, I guess. I wanted to participate in life. I don't want. I didn't want to be grown like mm-hmm. uh, like a chicken, you know. <laughs> and it really, it really, it's really getting to the point where it's hard to distinguish between farm animals and people these days. <laughs> when you see those self checkouts, mm-hmm. and Soon to come, you just walk in and then the number gets detracted from your little electronic device and you walk in, you grab whatever feed you want and you walk out. It's like coming up to a trough. It's like you pull out your horse, you're pulling a wagon all day and then <laughs> you come to a trough, you get a sip of water and you can do it all over again next day. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know. It's It's difficult to explain. I just... It was just, I was hurting all the time. I, mm-hmm. d- I didn't like the, the activities that they would make me do. I just wanted to do my own thing. I wasn't interested. I, plus it just, it all just seemed, it just seemed so stupid. It's like, let's say voting. I, and I looked at it when I was 18. I never voted in my life because I was, I could see that this is nonsense. When they changed the system to democracy in Poland, I would I saw one party they got in, they stole and did everything wrong, totally compromised. Then the next party they they got in, and they also got completely compromised. And then my time for voting came, and uh, my parent asked me who are, who are you going to vote for, and I said no, I'm not going to vote, and. She said, well, only uneducated and primitive people don't vote. <laughs> and I, I told her, no, I think it's the exact opposite. <laughs> and I never voted. But, you know, I looked at it at that time because there was the third election coming in. And just the party that got so compromised, they, they just put out a few new faces. And now everybody's voting again for that, for that party. Mm-hmm. So it's like... You're going down the highway, and you catch a flat tire. You come out, look at your vehicle, you take a bubble gum, stick it in the hole, you pump up the wheel, and then pop, it blows off. So what do you do now? Well, and then, okay, I'll use the duct tape. You put a duct tape on, it doesn't work. So what do you do for the third thing? Ah, you go back to bubble gum, right? <laughs> and that's what voting is. I just don't understand how people can do it. I am not see it. Yeah. But you know, yeah, you, you could hear the weapons of mass destructions and war in Iraq, and everybody knew that was all, this, this was all a big lie. They went to the to their TVs. The TV lied to them, and then two years later, they, they will go back to the same TV and ex- expect to hear the truth. So how does that make sense? I mean, we're living in in a mud house. Madhouse. Mm-hmm. No, I. You can, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can say so many of these stories, like with with Dr. Fauci and the pandemic. The guy said there will be an outbreak, and then there was an, there is an outbreak. So what do we do? We take this guy to the to to the dungeon, beat him into pulp, and ask him 
how did you know? Or do we hail him as a science expert and ask for advice? And we know what the people people did, right? Right. Because right. we, we saw Dr. Fauci everywhere telling what works, what doesn't. I mean, it's just so, such nonsense. And the astonishing thing about these operations, too, is that he can say one day uh, the masks aren't going to be helpful, and then a month or two later he can say they, you definitely need a mask, and in fact it would be better if you wore two or three at a time. And I, I, there's well, some... Go ahead. It is most astonishing that people listen to it. I guess, I don't know, it's probably... That obedience is probably fear-driven. I'll do any stupid thing if it if there's a chance that it's going to save me. This is an interesting thing too about um, human nature. You, you talk about the life that you wanted to lead because it it felt to you that you really were engaged in living by being in nature and by being self-sufficient. Most people, as you say, are products, and that was an expression, that was how Alan would describe it all the time. He said, you're, you're a product of your indoctrination, you're a product of everything about you, you know, the, your hobbies, your tastes, all of this is um, completely put on you. So you have people almost on, like... I'll, I, I'll read you something from... Uh Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Garrow. Okay. So I quote, Aristotle saw a long time ago that fully participating in a complex range of human affairs was the only way to become fully human. So when you don't kill your food, or in general, when you don't procure your food, you don't do that. So there's a lot of, you know, incomplete lives and incomplete human beings out there. Mm-hmm. I think it's also beyond f- food, you know, because food is, is a sustaining the body, it's feeding the body, but there are also uh, the, the soul, the spirit, these things need to be fed. Sometimes this is, um, you know, making music, e- e- even primitive, so-called primitive people made music and had entertainments. And if you study tribes, um, I'm, I'm not promoting the use of narcotics or alcoholic beverages, but many tr- ancient civilization not civilizations, but tribes, had ways of altering from time to time their consciousness. So you wonder, was that an important thing to do? But this was a tribal thing. It wasn't given to you like I needed to get something from the store the other day. And I passed by the section where they had sheets. And they had CBD oil-infused sheets. And this is the insanity of the world that we're living in, you know, that that people think that CBD oil is a cure for everything and is going to give you a better night's sleep if you sleep in sheets that are infused with it. But tribes did, you know, even turn their spit. There's an African tribe that turned its spit into a fermented beer-type drink. So there is something 
to altering your mind from time to time. And for me, that altering my mind is just getting up away from the desk, away from the computer, going outside, looking up at the sky. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can fully agree with what you said because well, actually with food, with procuring your own food starts your contact with nature and with reality. And I know I won't be able to explain it because you would have to kill your own animals and eat them. But um, you are in contact with nature and that's that has been the the biggest teacher really in my life. That was just nature. And nature has a, a lot of lessons for you. But uh, you need to spend a lot of time in solitude which can be initially dangerous because usually people, like it was at least with me, it, they seek solitude when they're depressed and they're not, they're not having a good time. And uh, as Nietzsche said, whatever you take into solitude, it grows there. I know you're not a big fan of Nietzsche, but uh, neither am I, but I think he got that right. But one, once you kill that monster, then only good things happen. And... Uh, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but you are closer to, to the world, you are closer to reality, and you understand the world. So you don't have silly expectations, like you won't go protest something, mm-hmm. because you know it's just nonsense. Probably the biggest lesson from nature that you can get is that the nature doesn't reward morality. Nature only rewards survival. It doesn't care what you do. If you're alive at the end of the day, then according to nature, this is it. Then you are going to be rewarded by being able to pass your genes to your offspring, your genes and your traits. So I remember uh, reading a book titled Bloodlands. It wasn't a very great book. It was about massacres all over Europe. But there was one sentence that caught my attention there, which I find very true. And it's, it, it said, in every crisis, good people die first. So, for example, if you have a famine, and who is more likely to survive? Somebody who is moral, won't steal, will more likely sacrifice himself or herself than hurt others, or the thief or the somebody who will eat another people's children or steal. I think the answer is obvious. Or even that crisis can be less pronounced. It's that you can call a, you can call this system a crisis, or you can call a government a crisis. And you, you remember, Alan said many times who who gets ahead in this system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you think about the term that Darwin came up with, uh, survival of the fittest, it's actually a misnomer. And I'm sorry, but this needs to be said. It's not survival of the fittest. It's survival of the shittiest. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're seeing the, the kind of so-called elites that we have right now. They are the epitome of what I just described. Mm-hmm. But that's not bad news, you know. That's not bad news because this is truth. And again, if you know truth, 
you can make proper decisions in your life and uh, act upon that truth. I think that the way that you live has given you the space in your head to have insights and to think about the way the world works and in especially in nature. I have not had the experience of at all at any point in my life of being completely responsible for my own food, hunting it, growing it as, as a, I, I think that you're right that this is for many, many thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years. This is how humans have lived. There is a natural rhythm to it. But when you talk about nature doesn't care, I get it. Nature doesn't care. But in a way, and this is just something to think about that occurred to me, in a way, the natural world is a more... It's another way of saying the material world because it's the world of matter. It's a something that you can touch. It's a stone. It's a tree, whether you want to hug it or not. It's an animal, whether you want to uh, be best friends with it or if you need to take the life of that animal in order to survive. And I I do think this is where I'm coming from. I think that there is more to the system than the material world. I don't think there is anything. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there is anything more to the system. This world and this reality is is let's say, my place of operation. I, I don't know. And I don't follow any religions, you know. And it, it, to me, it's just hopium. It's nothing else. I just stick with I don't know. I've never seen God or I never spoke of Some silly things maybe happened to me that were unusual, but, you know, it's, it's nothing that I would hope that... Besides, think about it. Every religion is really a religion of death. Because if there was no death, there would be no religion. And another thing is, which actually I find I find strange about religions, is that why people, when they think about God, why people think that God is benevolent? He puts you in this world when we are supposed to eat each other. And look where we are with our system and everything else. So why would you why do you Assume that God is good. I haven't made that assumption. And I know why. <laughs> I know why. Because it's easier to think that you're going to be in paradise, you're going to be somewhere, in a, you're going to be in a good place, then you're not going to be anywhere, you're going to be where you were before, before you were born. Isn't that a nicer thought? It's hoping. Uh, and I say, I don't. 
I say, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Alan would always say, and I have gone the same way too, I can't speak of God or religion in the same way that other people do or have hope in a paradise. I can go by my experiences as he did his, that right here, right now, for him, there was more than what met the eye. There was more than what could be observed in nature by the sen- the normal everyday senses. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, well, like I said, it has to be your experience. Okay, but what kind of experience? Well, that's an, that is one thing uh, that I can't share with you. Uh, as Alan said repeatedly to me uh, that he that you cannot share your experiences with another person because they well, won't understand. I'm sharing my experiences with you about killing animals. I know you will never understand it if you never killed anything. But oh, that's a good. Share it. Yeah, no, you that's can a good. Share the experience and leave it to me, right? Oh, that's a good thing, and and maybe off maybe off the air sometime I would share an experience with you. I think when you're talking about something that is see because the the world of imagination allows people the way that we've been maybe you could call it John Taylor Gatto's dumbed down, but the way we're dumbed down, people can still imagine a life in which it's them surviving in nature and they take the life of an animal and they skin it and they learn how to make leather and they learn how to make suet. They learn these skills to survive. But the part of our mind that, um, that clicked with, that clicks with the mystical that part has been well and truly extricated from most people. So to say, uh, you know, I, I, I might as well be speaking another language. One-on-one, I would do it. It's a pearls before swine kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think that um, you you made a good point, though. What can I understand about the way that you're living if I haven't done it myself? And that the pain for me, the painful part of um, you see, because I want to understand how you live. I I think it's interesting. It's um, admirable, uh, and it's. There is an element, like you said, the excitement that you found in nature. And I can get that secondhand when you're talking about that. But when I have tried to share my experiences of a world beyond this one or uh, something that people think of as magical or mystical, I have too often been um, shot down with rationalizations and... I find it painful to try to share experiences with uh, people who don't want to hear them. And you, yeah, I mean, you, you only can, you know. Them. Yeah, I, I mean, off the air, we might find, I mean, this is the first hour that we've spoken, so if we had a longer conversation sometime, you might find, I might find that sharing with you 
you wouldn't just shoot it down out of hand and say, oh, let me give you the rational material explanation for what you experienced. Okay, and how do you counter the rational explanation? Well, I I, I think that's the, the nature of some profound experiences that people can have and that they have had down through time that may not hold up to being passed down generation. You know, they, they lose the impact. The experiencer has it. They try to share that with someone else. It gets put in a book. Maybe it gets put in a book that we call a holy book. Um, but down through time, the experience itself is no longer an experience. It's a story about an experience. And then it's a second-hand story and a third-hand story about an experience. So it's... You can't really counter it. If a person uh, has had something similar in their own life, you may not even have to talk about it. You can just kind of communicate in a way that surpasses words you know. So it's hard. I, I You know, it's funny, too. I didn't want to keep, you know, prattle on too long here, but I was listening... Um, not too long ago to a talk that Alan had with Jackie Petru and she wanted him to talk about an experience that she wanted to get into the non-material world in a way, but she wasn't really hearing him. And he said, she said, well, you talked to me about this before. You've said something before. And he said, well, these are the kinds of things that are one-on-one. -on -one. And yes, I have had, this is Alan talking, I have had hundreds of conversations with people one-on-one. -on -one, but you can't put this out where you have an audience of thousands of people in a way that they will understand. And it's just kind of, uh, and then they move on to the next thing. Well, I thought that was... The most beautiful thing about Alan, like he didn't care if you understand. He just gives you this, and you either get it or you don't. That that was beautiful, but every once in a while, in this talk with Jackie, was one example of when he said no. I, you know, I some things I'm not going to say on the radio. Some things I'm not going to say on air because I know the overall response. There, there was a, a another a separate conversation that he also had with Jackie in which a, a Christian listener called in and Alan was saying some of the most profound things and because it did not fit into her understanding of Christianity, it didn't fit into what she had been told about God and the life hereafter and the you know, she just didn't get it. See, because what you said is that you, you know, you, you have something, hopium, it's, it's, it's death. But for a person who is walking through the world with a, um, a different way of communicating with what is beyond nature, um, it's an everyday experience. And it is, it colors everything about you and everything about the way you see life. You're seeing perhaps beyond nature and no oh, i'm just saying that you know you, you can't really tell like we all know the same thing which is nothing we're born here we pee in the morning and eat our meals and you can imagine things you can hope for something but 
Well, what I'm what I'm what I'm saying what I am saying is that I disagree with you. See, because just as I can't know the things that you know because of your years of living within nature and surviving, you can't know what I know, which may not be my imagination. But because those okay, are, I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's, all right, enough what of that. You to tell me, but well, I you know there's just too 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 many stories, Matt. Too, I mean, I, this is a lifetime accumulation of my experiences, and there are too many of them to put across. And this was your show, so we may have a follow up where we get into it, or we may just do it off the air, which would be my preferred method of communicating some of this with you. But I, I was more interested in your philosophy. I have learned a lot. I think it's really interesting. I think it is wonderful that you have a wife and child who are with you in this, what to me must be, as, as somebody who, you know, now has running water, I didn't have running water in Canada, but, you know, with somebody who has a lot of the conveniences of modern life and civilization, there is something um, both nostalgic and respectful from me to you for the way that you live. Well, I won't say thank you because... I'm really sorry for the way you have to live right now and <laughs> Me too. every other person. <laughs> it's weird, you know. I even want to live like that. <laughs> well, I I have really enjoyed this conversation. I I wonder though if you have anything else that you wanted to add that you want to share with people. I, I think you summed it up pretty well there that you feel sorry for us and and I get it. Well, you know, Melissa, there's nothing to add because Alan said it all. And the question now is, what do you do with it? Yes. If you have children and uh, if you have children and you know what's going on, you got to ask yourself, what what are you going to do with it? Because there's no one coming to save you and there's no global awakening going to happen, right? I totally so, agree. Yeah, totally agree. So I hope that you will send me pictures of the hungry grizzly bear and the root cellar and some of the other things that I can use to illustrate this visually okay, for people. I will. That would be great. And what I'll do, you can, if you have a few minutes to hang on with me, I'll, I'm just going to say, a goodbye to everyone. Thank you for listening. I have enjoyed this conversation with Matt. I appreciate his time and his generator. And uh, tune in next week. I will be joined with Neil Foster and Angry North. And that will be on the 11th of January. So thank you and have a good week. Something